Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Britain's education system is in crisis. A new poll by the National Education Union has found almost half of teachers in England plan to quit their job in the next five years. We know that one in seven five-year-olds in England fail more than half their developmental indicators in reception year. There are more children with a probable mental health condition. New figures released last year indicate this has now jumped to one in six children. We also know that nearly one in five children reaches the age of 19 without getting five GCSEs, a technical equivalent, or an apprenticeship. No one can honestly believe that 20% of children are incapable of achieving basic qualifications. It should be a national scandal. Long before the pandemic hit, teachers, families and experts were already warning that the education system wasn't working. And then, lockdown brought a whole host of new problems, from teachers suffering burnout to missed exams and the impact on students' mental health. The system is now in urgent need of major reforms. I worry that as an education system, we are not genuinely putting children's well-being at the heart of what we do. It scares me. It, It really does. The Times Education Commission has spent the past year looking at the system, trying to identify what isn't working and, crucially, what is. And it's come up with a list of 12 recommendations they're pitching to government. We don't want to go back to what we had before. We've got to do things differently because we're not giving children what they need. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how the British education system is failing children and what we can do better. If you want a country with an economy that's thriving and productivity that's going all guns blazing, you have to put greater priority on education. That's the root of your success. That's The Times columnist Rachel Sylvester. For the past year, she's been rethinking how Britain teaches as the chair of the Times Education Commission. 
This was an idea that was brought to the Times by Sir Anthony Selden, who is himself a former head teacher, former vice chancellor, education expert, and historian. And he proposed a year long commission really to fill the gap that's been left by politicians. It's just slipped down the Whitehall agenda far too much. Spending on health will have gone up 42% between 2010 and 2025. Spending on education will have gone up only 3%. I think there's just a real yearning for education to be recognised as a priority again. And so we decided to spend a year really looking at this and we got together a group of 22 really extraordinary commissioners. The commissioners included head teachers, university chancellors and the head of a teachers union, but it also included experts from a broad range of professions. There was the director, Steve McQueen, children's author Cressida Cowell, artist Anthony Gormley and the scholar Dame Mary Beard. Happy kids make good students. I remember my English country dancing. That was fucking brilliant. I'm interested in magic, but I'm also interested in practical magic. I'm inter- in, in, interested in the transformative magic of reading. Anywhere else in Europe, artists are treated naturally with extreme respect. The fact is that art is a vocation. I'm not certain, but I think that GCSE is in some ways past its sell-by date. We're not creating robots, we want to create great human beings who can actually contribute. We went out beyond the usual suspects to find out what the country needs from education. What was so interesting was that there really was a convergence of opinion that reform really was needed, things needed to change, but also about what needed to change, that there needed to be more breadth. It needed to go out beyond the kind of narrow academic curriculum to something that encouraged also character, well-being, those kind of softer skills like communication, teamwork, things that companies say they want as well Mm. in order to prepare children for the modern workplace, which is radically different to what it was even 10 years ago. We've held evidence sessions every two weeks, lots of interviews. I've visited lots and lots of schools, both in this country and abroad, trying to work out what actually does work and what could we replicate here to make our system more flexible and more fitted for the modern world. I think the pandemic has highlighted a lot of the flaws, if you like, and in some ways exacerbated them. The Commission has held roundtable meetings in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, as well as England, and they firmly believe that while many of the recommendations are specific to England, several of them could apply to all the nations. One of the issues the Commission highlighted is a narrow curriculum. They say there's far too much focus on exam results and not enough on developing and valuing a wider skill set. It's almost like a factory model of education where it's one size fits all. Children have to fit into a particular box and the individual talents of children aren't drawn out. Success is defined only in terms of academic outcomes. 
the world has absolutely changed dramatically in the last decade, the way we shop, the way we bank, the way we travel, the way we work. But education hasn't, and it needs to, to prepare children both for work but also for life. We have seen problems of mental health going through the roof, but the thing I don't think people expect it, and the thing that I didn't expect myself either is that how that manifests itself is that they simply don't come to school. That's Lucy Kellaway, a teacher who served as a commissioner on the report. She shared her views on a range of issues, including assessments, mental health and teacher morale. Lucy came to the profession late in life, having already had a successful career in journalism. She now teaches economics to a year 13 class, which in the old days would have been the upper sixth. I was drawn to teaching because I actually wanted to do something useful. And I can't really think of anything more useful than trying to help kids have a better start in life. So I also set up Now Teach, which is a charity to try and persuade other professional people to do exactly the same thing. So I started teaching five years ago in Hackney. But since September, I've been teaching in a comprehensive in Tower Hamlets. It's a girls' school where almost the entire student body is Bengali and half of them are on free school meals. Lucy says many of her students are struggling. I've never had all 27 students, not for one lesson all year, show up. And usually there's about seven students who aren't even there. It's not always the same ones, but there is a hard core in that of students who are showing their distress by simply not showing up to school. That's just one class of mine. But if you look at the government figures, this is very much borne out across the country. So I sort of think, right, I'm ringing them at home. But they see a no-caller ID. They don't pick up their phone. Their parents don't pick up their phones. It's very, very difficult to get to them. A lot of schools, including ours, sometimes goes around, go around with a minibus trying to get them in. GCSEs were cancelled two years ago because of the pandemic. So this is coming at them for the first time now. They have never sat a public exam before. And they feel very, very unprepared. A lot of them aren't there because they've become so anxious about their work. But by staying home, all they're doing is making that miles, miles worse. Because if they're not in school, they will be falling further and further behind. The Times Commission didn't just look at how children have been struggling after the pandemic. They also looked at the content of what children learn, the curriculum. Lucy says we should remove the constraints that stop more innovative and creative teaching. When I went into this, I suppose I had a sort of probably quite romantic and definitely unrealistic idea of what it was going to be about. I thought we would be sort of sitting around history boys style, having fascinating conversations about things. Often I've been in a situation where a student has asked me something like Miss... Does the existence of the financial crisis mean that capitalism really doesn't work? That is a really good question. It's a really interesting question. I had to say, absolutely fascinating. We could talk about this for a long time. If you're interested, come and see me more after the lesson. And that was 
as far as I could go because I had to return to the blinking slides I was meant to be going through. That seems to me a pity. And it's not just those interesting discussions that are lost. Lucy says this narrow focus is also losing many students. One of my concerns, and this is an even bigger concern, is that the exam system leaves about one third of all the students behind because the exams were not made for them. They find them too difficult. Mostly they fail them. And that leaves them really disenfranchised, hating school and feeling awful about themselves. I think that the stakes continue to be absolutely dire for this bottom third quarter, however many students it is. They leave school without any decent qualifications. Many of them come from families where there's been a history of failure. This is perpetrated and they can look forward to a very nice life working for Deliveroo. I think that is unforgivable in such a rich economy and the human consequences of that catastrophic. Teachers work incredibly hard. In the UK, actually, there are stats, OECD stats that show that we work longer hours than pretty much anyone. Uh, That was before COVID. COVID, as everybody knows, was horrendous. um, And we are still in the aftermath of that. So um, we have a lot of vulnerable children that we're trying to take care of. And that does make things even harder. And what really concerns me is that the younger teachers, some of them are absolutely amazing, are all saying to me that they cannot see themselves doing this indefinitely. The work is too hard. It's not sustainable. We did a survey which found that about a third of teachers are thinking of quitting in the next five years. Pay has fallen, but it isn't just about pay, it's also about the workload. There's a huge amount of paperwork, uh, lesson preparation that goes on beyond the classroom. There's a huge amount of data they have to collect in case the Ofsted inspectors turn up. Alison Peacock, who is the head of the Chartered College of Teaching, which, which represents teachers, described Ofsted as operating a reign of terror, making schools feel as if they're constantly on the defensive, constantly preparing for the Ofsted inspection. And it makes it very um, disempowering for teachers. That's so interesting because you'd assume that Ofsted was there to ensure better standards, but actually it might be having the opposite effect. Well, exactly. We asked teachers what they thought of Ofsted. We asked them to rate it in the way that Ofsted rates schools and less than 0.5% said it was outstanding. The vast majority, over three quarters, said it was either requires improvement or inadequate. So there is wow. a problem. There's a real loss of trust there between schools and the inspectorate. And obviously, as a parent, you, I really want a... Uh, high-quality inspectorate, but it should be, I think, a helping hand. It should be there to improve schools. It shouldn't be there to just beat schools up and make them feel that they're hopeless. And Rachel, having looked at so many examples of, of schools that work and schools that really don't across the country, I mean, talk us through the best and the worst, really. Tell, tell me a little bit about some of the most inspiring schools that you've visited during your time on the commission? 
What's so interesting is that I think there, I've realised actually that there are many, many ways to run a good school. And I think sometimes in Whitehall and at the Department for Education, there's this sense that there's only one kind of true and proper path. But actually, that's not true. So I'm thinking of a school in Doncaster called XP, which is in an old industrial estate. And they've sort of turned it into this kind of modern building, all built around a huge atrium with big steps that children sit on for Mm. assemblies. And they've torn up the curriculum. So they don't have separate chemistry lessons, maths lessons, geography lessons. They teach the children through what they call expeditions. So when they came back to school after the pandemic, they did an expedition on vaccines and pandemics. And they did history through the history of pandemics. They did science through the science of vaccines. They did maths through the data analysis of the pandemic. And it's just a completely different way of thinking about learning. And it's highly academic and stretching for the pupils and a lot of work for the teachers, but the teachers also find it more fulfilling. And the pupils were very engaged. And they also have to do public presentations at the end of each expedition. They do some kind of project, which they then have to present to their parents and other local dignitaries. Mm. So it's a very different type of education in a way. And there's a heavy focus on mental health and well-being. They talk a lot about compassion as being at the heart of the school's identity rather than just qualifications. Do they do as well in terms of grades? They do. They get really good grades. They've been judged outstanding by Ofsted. They managed to shoehorn all the knowledge that the children need to take their GCSEs into this innovative form of curriculum. And the last term, they say, right now, our expedition this term is passing the exams. This is what you need to know. And they fill in any gaps. But the results are fantastic. And they've had no exclusions in uh, six years. They take a very inclusive approach. But there's another school which is much more traditional called Bedford Free School, which I went to, which is almost the other extreme. So they have silent corridors, very strict discipline code, sanctions if you forget the pen or have the wrong shoes. But there's also a sort of compassion to that. They have the whole of their Wednesday afternoons. They take off the traditional timetable and they have non-academic electives so children can learn gardening or coding or how to build a medieval trebuchet. Everyone has to join a sports club, even if you're hopeless at sport. (laughs) And what was so interesting to me is that those schools are incredibly different in their approach, but the common theme between them both is that character matters as much as qualifications and that it's who you are and how you treat other people that is important, as well as just the grades that you get. Coming up, we hear from a primary school doing things differently. And how do you fix Britain's broken schools? That's after a quick word from the boss. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. My favorite value is perseverance because in class, I have my partner and sometimes he feels like he wants to give up. But I keep on telling him that he shouldn't stop because he can keep going and achieve his dreams. The cheerleader there is 10-year-old Justin. J-U... S-T-E-N. Justin is a student at Surrey Square Primary School in Southwark, London. At the end of the year, I'm going to unfortunately graduate. It's unfortunate because he likes it so much. Surrey Square is one of the schools that the Commission were particularly impressed by. Like the other schools Lucy mentioned, they also put a strong emphasis on character. And Justin says their on-site counselling service is really popular. There's a thing called place to be and it's like, well, it helps you with, you know, controlling your emotions and when you're down, you can go talk to them and feel happy but you have to book, you have to book it and see because they're really busy most of the time. So Surrey Square is situated on the Aylesbury Estate which is in Southwark in London. The Aylesbury Estate is one of the biggest social housing estates in Western Europe, which means that for a huge proportion of our children, they sit within the lowest 10% on the Adaki Deprivation Index. So they bring to school with them a number of challenges um, that they face within their own personal lives. That's Nicola Noble, one of the head teachers at Surrey Square Primary School. I've worked here now for 16 years and when I arrived at the school I thought I'd previously worked in inner city challenging schools and I realised that 
I hadn't. <laughs> and the challenges that our families were facing day in, day out here were really unique to me. And I and the team here really realised that we needed to do more. We realised that children who were coming to school who were hungry or they were finding it difficult to sit still because they were sleeping on the floor or they were living in temporary accommodation and it was really noisy so they, they hadn't had a good night's sleep and then that was affecting their ability to concentrate in class. So is it that they need um, a blow-up mattress? Well, okay, let's work that out. Or is it that they that them and their family need some food back vouchers? We, we can sort that out. At the height of the pandemic, we were sending out about 200 food parcels every week, ensuring that children were fed. And that's why we have the mission at the school, which is personal and academic excellence, everyone, every day. Because if we don't develop our children as people, if we don't meet their personal needs, then we see time and time again that they're not going to be able to achieve the academic excellence that we want for them. And that goes beyond just the children. We work in depth with their families as well, because if there are issues there around financial health or domestic violence, immigration worries, housing issues, that has an impact on the whole family and then obviously on the child itself, which is a barrier to their learning. I worry that as an education system, we are not genuinely putting children's well-being at the heart of what we do because the current pressures of the system are driving us all towards academic outcomes. So, you know, the current Ofsted framework doesn't look at a school's provision around well-being in, in the level of detail that I believe that we should be looking at it. It scares me. It, it really does. And it actually makes me feel quite emotional because I really worry about the... Um, short, medium, long-term impact that this approach has because I think that we talk so much, there's so much in the media about well-being being so important and that we need to prioritise it, yet as an education system we're not doing that. And what we have to try and continue to be bold about here is knowing that if we do prioritise children's well-being, it gets the academic outcomes that we want and I would love to see this more widely within the system. In the, you know, for the last 16 years, those issues have been there. And in some cases, they're actually getting worse. So thinking about, we can't meet basic need forever. So how what do we do about this? So we set up a causes and campaign strategy, really thinking about what's the work that we need to do with local and national organisations to eliminate some of these problems for good, to ensure that in the next 10 years, we won't be facing those issues again and again and again. Listen up, this is the 12 recommendations, read by us at Surrey Square. Number one, a British baccalaureate offering broader academic and vocational qualifications at 18 and a slimmed down set of exams at 16 to bring out the best in every child. Number two, a premium for all schools to be spent on activities including drama, music, dance and sports. A national citizen service experience for every pupil including volunteering and time outdoors. Number three, new career academies, technical and vocational sixth forms with close links to industry to unleash the economic potential of Britain. Number four, a boost to early years funding for the most vulnerable. 
Each child will receive a unique pupil number from birth to level the playing field before children get to school. A library in every primary school. Number five, an army of undergraduate tutors earning credit toward their degree by helping pupils who are falling behind to catch up. Rachel, as a result of looking at all of these examples and bringing together the commission, you have now, after a year's work, come up with a detailed report and a list of recommendations. And there are there are 12, really, that stretch from you know the early years all the way up to higher education and further education. What were the key things that you found? So one of our main findings is that there should be a new assessment system. And we're proposing the introduction of a British baccalaureate, which would be a broader qualification at 18. So you would do perhaps six subjects if you were taking an academic version of it. But there'd also be a vocational route that you could do. What so many people said to us from the worlds of business, from academia, from culture as well, is that children are forced to choose too early Mm. uh, between the sciences and the arts, between academic and vocational, and that that actually there should be more breadth for all children right up through to 18, so that you keep your options open. But also there should be more kudos given to high quality vocational qualifications, Mm. and that both of these two routes should be under the same umbrella Because I think in the end, the school system is driven by incentives and the assessment system has become the kind of tail that wags the dog. And that is what schools are chasing all the time. So you need to make sure that that is putting, that is driving the right incentives and driving the right behaviour. And alongside the, the sort of qualification bit under the baccalaureate, everybody would do some kind of extended project, some volunteering elements of creativity or those wider skills that employers say they want so that children are just better prepared for life and work. Number six, a laptop or tablet for every child and the greater use of artificial intelligence in schools, colleges and universities. Number seven, well-being should be at the heart of education with a counsellor in every school. Schools should actively build resilience rather than just support students once problems have arisen. I mean, it's pretty shocking that one in six children have a probable mental health disorder. And that's got worse during the pandemic. But it's a trend that's been building for about 10 years. So... Obviously, you need to have more counsellors available for pupils in school, but also you need to do more to build resilience in children earlier on. And I think that is partly through things like making things like sport, drama, music, part of the whole curriculum rather than an optional add-on. I think if you had a more balanced and rounded education, you wouldn't end up with so many acute problems. Number eight, bring out the best in teaching with better career development. Number nine, a reformed Ofsted that works collaboratively with schools for sustained improvement, a new school report card measuring well-being, school culture, inclusion and attendance to unleash the potential of schools. And you mentioned earlier the problems with 
Ofsted that schools identified, how would they need to change to enable these changes within the schools? Ofsted needs to change into more of a collaborative rather than confrontational inspectorate. In Wales, the chief inspector sees his role as to help schools improve rather than just to identify problems. And I think we need to move to something much more like that in England too. Number 10. Better training for teachers to identify children who have special educational needs. Schools must remain accountable for the pupils they exclude to draw out the talent in every child. Number 11. New university compasses in 50 higher education called SPOT improved pay and conditions in the FE sector and transferable credit system between universities and colleges. 12. A 15-year strategy for education putting education above short-term party politics and bringing out the, the best in our schools, colleges and universities. Rachel, having carried out this year-long commission, having heard from so many brilliant experts feeding into it and having collated a, a really comprehensive list of recommendations now, what happens next? How do you try to get them implemented? Well, I think really now the ball's in the politicians' court and we'll be talking to politicians from all parties and hoping that they will see that this is a pragmatic, really well-researched, evidence-based set of recommendations which are based on things that are in most cases happening somewhere in the world. So I've travelled around to Estonia, to the Netherlands, to Finland, to the United States. I've spoken to people in Singapore and in Shanghai. And what strikes me increasingly is that Britain and particularly England actually is increasingly an outlier in terms of education. It's gone back to this sort of more traditional very academic, narrow approach, whereas other countries are really changing how they do things. So in Estonia, they study robotics from the age of seven and they have virtual reality lessons and their whole curriculum is based around what they call 21st century competences, which are things like communication, teamwork, problem solving, the skills that the companies say they want. So there's so much to learn that's already happening around the world. This isn't a kind of pipe dream, pie in the sky set of recommendations. It's based on the best practice from around the world. What did the Commission think about what the government is doing and its aims in terms of policy? What's so striking to me is how unambitious the government is being when it comes to education. It just seems to be that that's such a missed opportunity. I think the pandemic was a reset moment where the school system was shut down for months on end. Children were at home and there was huge damage done by that. But it was also an opportunity because it was a time to just pause, think, what do we want to go back to? And I spoke to one of the head teachers who came to our round table in Bradford, said, we don't want to catch up. We don't want to go back to what we had before. We've got to do things differently because we're not giving children what they need. There's a real appetite for change among many school leaders and teachers and among parents. And I think the government and the opposition and the politicians from all parties have got to realise that the politics of this has changed, that there is now an opportunity and a moment when we can do things better, we can do things differently. And have you had any response from the government to your recommendations? 
Nadim Zahawi has been really interested in what we're doing, and I think he is a reform-minded education secretary. He's a former business man and entrepreneur who understands the power of technology. So he knows what uh, business needs. He knows how technology can transform industries and also potentially education. The government should realise that if they don't take up some of these ideas, then Labour is definitely going to be interested in reform of education. It's a huge open goal for them if the Tories refuse to look at anything. Some of the traditionalists won't like all of our ideas, and that's fine, but there does need to be a recognition that everything isn't perfect, that when you've got a third of five-year-olds not reaching a good level of development, when you've got a third of 16-year-olds being written off as failures, when you've got one in six pupils with a probable mental health disorder, you've got one in three teachers threatening to quit, that's not sustainable. Something's got to change, and if it's not our blueprint, then what is it? An Ofsted spokesperson said, parents and carers know that Ofsted acts in the best interests of children and they value the work we do. Our own post-inspection survey data shows that the vast majority of school leaders agree that inspection will help them to improve their provision. A Department for Education spokesperson told us, we thank the Times Education Commission for its report and always welcome new ideas and views from the sector and education experts. They went on to say the school's white paper sets out a clear roadmap for levelling up education in England, and their ambitious education recovery programme is already getting children back on track following the pandemic. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, columnist for The Times and chair of The Times Education Commission, Rachel Sylvester, teacher and commissioner, Lucy Kellaway, and Nicola Noble, head teacher of Surrey Square Primary School. Also, a special thank you to the pupils of Surrey Square Primary for their help with this episode. To Justin, Tiffany, Hadja, Rahim, Josiah, Arsal, Jakeem, Tejar, Karem, Perez, Janetta, and Victoria. You can find the full report by the Times Education Commission at thetimes.co.uk. The producers today were Brenna Daldorf and Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.